Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you. It is good to be together to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so we gather this morning uh, with brothers and sisters around the world in every language, speaking, declaring the goodness of God who has arrived as human flesh to become one of us that we might be back with him. And so we're going to, we, we are uh, gathered this Sunday morning. We're going to do what we do on Sundays, on this special Sunday. We're going to worship God together. We're going to open his word and see what he might be speaking into us this morning. So if you have a Bible, go on and open up to Matthew chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, you got people walking around, just slip up a hand and they will put a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 2. I know we got a bunch of kids in the room. Kids, are you excited about Christmas? Tomorrow? Good stuff. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Now, how many of you uh, have ever, maybe when you were a kid or current kids, done one of these? Does anyone know what this is? A, well, yeah, a chain. It's, yeah, a Christmas countdown chain. Now, when I was a kid, we used to do this uh, often in red and green links at school, and you would watch that chain as each day you would tear one off, meaning you were one day closer to Christmas. Now, in our house, growing up and even in my house now, uh, we are big on Advent calendars. Uh, many of you that have been a part of Grace, hopefully uh, you've been doing the family Advent calendar Grace Kids sent home. This is ours. If, uh, we've been, right when we put it up, now obviously all the, the little envelopes are opened except for one. Uh, the read the prophecies that were in there and have been doing the activities. I hope that you've been a part of that. But uh, we don't just have a, uh, our Grace Kids Advent calendar. You'll notice on the left, that is a, a little a chocolate Advent calendar which as much as our kids are excited about opening up the scripture to read every day, they may or may not be more excited about who gets the chocolate that day as they take turns. And then on the right, we had a Lego advent calendar. Anyone have the Lego advent calendar? You open it up, every day is a little Lego thing to make. And then what's not in the picture is uh, we somehow, though I, I, I always swore we would never have a cat Somehow in the, this year, we ended up with two kittens that now live in our house. So yes, we have a cat advent calendar that every day they get a special treat that you open up the little door and take a treat to the cat. But all of it is this countdown towards Christmas. So we've been celebrating Advent, Advent just meaning the arrival it's this expectation of a notable person or a notable event. And so over Advent, we recognize that, that it was 2,000 years ago who God, who showed up in the flesh, arriving as a baby in a manger to bring hope and peace, joy and love into our world. And so this Advent season, this Christmas countdown has been about the expectation or the celebration of Jesus who came. But also we recognize in the Advent season that it is the expectation of Jesus who will come again. That God who took on flesh, born to die on the cross, to rise again into new life, ascended into heaven where he took the right hand of God but then promised one day he would come to restore all things. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, where there would be no more sin or death, suffering or tears. 
So in Advent, we look back to Jesus who came, but we also look forward to Jesus who will come again. But Advent also is that season of not just a God who came and a God who will come, but a God who invites us now to experience his arrival into our hearts and our lives. The present reality of a God with us. And so each week we've, we've written, uh, we've lit the Advent candles as we have uh, recognized that with the coming of Jesus, God bringing hope into our world, recognizing the brokenness of this world, but that one day he would restore all things. We recognize the, the peace of God, God making uh, first and foremost peace with himself so that we might be experience peace with one another. We recognize that with the coming of Jesus, God was ushering in true joy, the abundance of life, the life that we were created to experience. And then last week, with our students, we celebrated that with the coming of Jesus, we got to see and experience to encounter true love. That sacrificial love of a God who gave everything for us. And then today, we light the final Advent calendar on this Christmas Eve. Sorry, we're lighting a candle, not the calendar. That would be a different... We celebrate that tomorrow we recognize Jesus with us. And so we are looking at these Advent calendars. We're remarking on these Advent chains, and maybe you haven't even noticed, but you've been surrounded by this Advent countdown all month long. But what in the world does that have to do with Matthew chapter 2? Well, let's read this together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, when Herod the king heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And so assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed promised king was to be born. And these religious leaders and, and scribes told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for in fact, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for this child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, there's a lot of good news in this passage. But for us today, the good news I want to focus on is simply this, that God is in charge and that he's inviting us to see him and to rejoice, to trust him and to follow And so as we read this passage with a paper chain in mind, we recognize that God had his own countdown to Christmas. And the wise men happened to see it. So the big question in this passage, or one of the big questions is this, what was this star of Bethlehem? Now, there are some that say that Matthew, in writing his account of this coming great king and the arrival of Jesus, just simply made up this event to try to add some cosmic significance. But we believe that this book, the Bible, is inspired by God. And so a symbolic made-up star doesn't fit in at all with what Matthew was doing in this historic account of a real event in a real place with real people. So assuming that it's a real event, there's a few options that are out there. One is that for God, who can do anything, it's just a a supernatural sort of one-off, sort of like God hung a, a Christmas light in the sky, sort of like we put lights on our house, and then he took them down after the holidays. There are some that think that maybe it was uh, a giant comet. And we recognize that, you know, the comets that that appear periodically in the sky will be a a great cosmic event out of the norm that would be noticed. The problem with with, uh, the, the random supernatural event is that when the wise men get to Herod, it's like he's surprised by it. So there's something significant happening in the heavens that the wise men noticed, but somehow Herod has missed it. And the problem with the, the comet is, is, is though that may have been something that you would just, uh, you know, ascribe to some cool event, not put a lot of significance on it. Astronomers have gone back and, and said that the closest comet in, in the sky at that time was in 12 B.C., and not around the time of the other events that are happening. Now, some will say that maybe it was a supernova, you know, a star exploding, and this giant uh, gaseous cloud that fills the sky with, with colors and light. The problem with the supernova, the challenge there is, is that when that happens, they don't really move across the sky. And there was something about the way that the this, this star rose that the wise men were able to follow. So the best explanation for whatever the wise men were following is that it was a real event in the night sky that would have been significant and noticeable enough for these wise men to take a significant journey to go find this new king. Now, the thing about stars and planets is that their motion through the night sky is predictable. 
I mean, since ancient times, people have been studying the movement of these heavenly bodies, navigating ships and, and finding their way and their course and, and, and writing entire stories about what is happening in the cosmos. In fact, we can go back in time and know exactly what was happening in the night sky at the time of Jesus' birth. Because the stars are orbiting, the, the planets are orbiting, the stars are on rotation, the heavens are turning in predictable ways. I mean, this is how God designed it to work. Our universe is not just a, a random series of chaotic events. There's order and momentum and rotation and revolution. The skies move in ways that you can go back and look at and look ahead and expect. And so there's a number of people that have gone back in time to see what might have been happening in the starry sky at the time around when Jesus was born. And there was this event right around 2 and 3 BC when the two brightest planets in the sky, Venus and Jupiter, overlapped. Astronomers call it a conjunction. And not only that, but these two brightest planets that overlapped so close that they would have been seen as one, where that conjunction happened was right next to this star called Regulus, the king's star, which is very bright. And it just so happens that the conjunction of these two planets alongside this star created this bright cosmic event happened inside the constellation of Leo, the lion, which many people associated with Judah and the Jewish people, the lion of God. And so this would have been an extremely bright event happening in the night sky. Now, even two year, a couple years ago, we had something similar happen, if you remember this, right? The, the Christmas star, when, uh, when the two planets of Jupiter and Saturn came to go, together, what they called the Great Conjunction. It was an event that they said that hadn't happened anything like that in the last 800 years. And that wasn't even as bright as what would have happened 2,000 years ago. Now, if you're interested in more of this and wondering why we're going so deep into astronomy on Christmas Eve, there's a great documentary. It's called uh, The Star of Bethlehem. It's by a guy named Frederick Larson, if you want to dig in. And, and, and it's not 100% in agreement that this is what was happening or this is what the wise men were following. But it seems the more that, that I, I've studied and, and read and researched, explored this and asked this question, what was happening in the heavenly realm that caused these wise men to undertake this great and dangerous journey to go look for an unknown king? I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the stars literally aligned at the birth of Christ. And you know what that means? It means that God had a countdown for Christmas. But instead of using paper loops, he used galaxies, planets, and stars, and orbits. So in other words, that from the foundation of the earth, from the beginning of creation... God knew the spin of the orbits and the movement of the stars so they would converge in this way at that exact time in that exact place to put a sign in the heavens that the king 
had arrived. This means that in Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke a word and the galaxies came into being, and with his, with his creation, he, he moved the planets into orbit, the stars on their revolutions, that for Adam and Eve, when they walked with God in the cool of the day, the heavens were turning. The countdown had begun. And for Adam and Eve, after they disobeyed God and they got kicked out of the garden into the unknown, into a world now defined by sin and fear and death, the heavens were turning. When Noah was floating over the chaos of the sea and the unknown future of the floodwaters, and he looked up at the sky, the heavens were turning. That when God called this man Abram out of his family to move them into a new land, to be their God, the heavens were turning. And when God told Abram to look at the sky and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, the heavens were turning. And when Abraham had to take his only son Isaac up Mount Moriah as a sacrifice, not knowing what would happen, the heavens were turning. When a young shepherd boy hung out with his sheep in the field and wrote songs declaring the majesty of God, the heavens were turning. And when that same shepherd boy took a sling and a few stones and faced a giant, the heavens were turning. When the children of Israel, because of their disobedience, were led where they didn't want to go into exile and scattered among the nations, the heavens were turning. And when Nehemiah led this remnant back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the heavens were turning. Do you understand what this means? That when God was silent, the heavens were turning. When the Greeks and the Romans came back and reconquered the land, the heavens were turning. That through famine and fear, through injustice and plague and pandemic, the heavens were turning. In war and violence and upheaval, the heavens were turning. Through rescue, through blessing, through children born and parents passing, the heavens were turning. Until finally that moment came that Paul described in Galatians 4, that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive our adoption as sons. That through it all, from the very beginning, God knew the heavens were turning, the countdown was on, and Jesus was born in the fullness of time. I mean, this is an overwhelming thought, that God is so big that he could make all of the universe collide in just the right way at just the right time. And then realize that in the midst of all of that, God being born in Bethlehem, God entering our world, God's invitation to us even today 
is that in the vastness of his cosmic plan, he sees you and me. And this is a truth that we can keep coming back to, that the heavens are turning, that God is in control, that he has perfect timing, that he is in charge and inviting us to pursue him. And with that is the second part of this, that yes, God is in charge, but also in this story, in the wise men, we see that he's inviting us to follow and to trust him. That the wise men saw the star and they went after it. Now we had to realize that these guys are, are not believers. They're not Jewish. They're, Christians haven't even been created yet. They're more like pseudo-scientific fortune tellers. I mean, they're astrologers. And we don't know what it was about the star and what they'd heard. And maybe there was something from, from the Jews that had been exiled into Babylon and the stories they told and the legends they held onto. Maybe they heard the echo of this king that was to be born in Judea to bring peace on earth. Maybe they'd heard the prophecy that had been passed from one generation to the next, to the next in Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. But whatever it was, Whatever they were anticipating, whatever they saw, it caused them to take this long, difficult journey. Across the wilderness and through valleys on dusty and dangerous roads, not knowing what they would even find at the end. And so they show up in Jerusalem asking all kinds of questions. And the beautiful thing is God's plan that not only did he wire this countdown to the birth of Jesus into the fabric of creation, but he wanted these pseudoscientific astrological fortune tellers to be the ones to see it. See, it's significant that they came from the East because in the Garden of Eden, when mankind sins and rebels against God and they get kicked out of the garden, they get kicked out to the east. And when Cain kills his brother Abel and goes into isolation in the wilderness, he moves to the east. The east was the place of unknown. It was the place of fear. It was the wilderness. And so here God is calling these wise men the farthest away from the place of wilderness and exile and sin to be the first to come back and worship this newborn king. And so you can be sure, I can be sure, that if God wanted to capture the attention of these wise men, then he's doing the same thing for you. And so on this Christmas Eve, which can so easily become just part of the routine that we play as family and the traditions that we carry as friends, how is God trying to grab your attention? I mean, with the wise men, he used a star perfectly aligned in the heavens to draw their hearts to the king. But what is God positioning in your heart to capture your imagination, to bring you home? Now, our world, there's so much that's competing and distracting. 
that sometimes it's hard to notice what God is doing. And that's why it's beautiful moments like this, Christmas Eve, not that we just rush through it into the busyness of the holidays, but to stop long enough and ask the question, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? How are you speaking into my darkness? How are you calling me forward? Where are you meeting me in my unknown, in the chaos and the craziness of my life? God, what do you want me to do? How are you inviting me to trust you? I mean, it's a simple illustration of this is there's a term that's not getting used um, called light pollution. Anyone heard that? The, the idea that the more headlights and the lights of the city that, that we can't even see the stars anymore. In fact, there's a picture, this is Los Angeles uh, 100 years ago and uh, in the top left there and then a few years later and then uh, within the last 20 years or so and you just see the difference in, in the light and what a resident in Los Angeles would look up and see in 1910 versus today. In fact, a few years ago up in Northeast, there was this giant blackout. And the reports of, of people calling 911 reporting this strange glow in the sky. And what they were seeing for the first time was the Milky Way. How many people have not ever seen the stars? And I just wonder, what is the light pollution? What's the noise in our lives that make it hard to actually even see what God was doing? I mean, I think about Herod. Herod, who didn't even know the birth of the Savior of the world that was happening five miles from where he lived. They had to ask questions about, well, wait, what's happening? And where is this supposed to happen? And what are we supposed to do about it? There's plenty of distraction. Go to the next slide. Oh, that's the blackout in New York. This is just a slide looking at the, the various, all the way from the, on the left, you know, the, an inner city sky to a, a beautiful, like, rural, if you've ever been out, when it, when it feels like there's no lights on and what you can see. But in this picture is also this powerful reminder that sometimes things have to get dark before we can really see where God is at work. And that means that even in our darkness, God is moving. In our low points, in our grief, in our pain, in our fear, in the unknown, and what feels like the chaos and the craziness of our world and our lives, and the darkness of what's happening around the world, that we were missing even to, to miss the fact that even right now, a few miles from where God entered our world in Bethlehem, there's a war happening with children that are sheltering in place and violence happening all around. And even in the darkness, the heavens are turning. God is at work, and he's inviting us to trust him and to follow. So the challenge for us this Christmas Eve is that you'd be a wise man or a wise woman or wise kid to open your eyes and see where God is at work in your life, where he's trying to grab your attention, where he's trying to get you to look up from the chaos of the world to get a glimpse of him. 
And like the wise men, when they found the one who their hearts longed for, they were filled with joy. That the purpose of life, the purpose of this journey, the, the source of joy is found when we recognize Jesus for who he is and fall down at his feet in worship. To open your eyes and see that God is work at work. God, how are you drawing me? How are you inviting me? So that when you do recognize Jesus and come to his feet, you realize that you are finally at home and can have exceedingly great joy. There's a God who has been pursuing you from day one who made himself known in the person of Jesus, a baby that was born to die, to take the sins of the world upon himself so that we could be set free to live with him an invitation into true life with God right now. That's the message of Christmas. That's what we count down to in expectation. And so we're gonna worship God together. I invite you, our prayer team will come forward and be around. If this is new good news for you, this invitation to trust God and to follow Jesus, then come find me, find one of our prayer team. And may this Christmas Eve, like the wise men, be the moment that you fall at the feet of Jesus, the true King. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you began this cosmic countdown that no one else understood and only got glimpses of through heaven, that all of the prophets were pointing to and not even understanding what they were saying, that all of that came together in this moment we celebrate today, that the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and to all who receive him, that you give the right to become children of God. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would encounter you, Jesus, in a fresh way. In God, places that we feel lost or stuck or alone, we could look up to the heavens and see your hand at work, not just in the cosmos, but in our life. May we turn to you, follow you, trust you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.